Well, hello, friends, and welcome. We are so pleased that you have joined us. You've joined us in the midst of a building site. So if you can hear saws and drilling and all manner of things, uh, don't worry too much about that. Um, but welcome to this second episode of the Compelling Community podcast, a podcast where essentially Matt McCullough and I, uh, Jonathan Worsley, talk shop for uh, 10, 15 minutes, something like that, where we talk about pastoral ministry at Edgefield Church, where we both pastor, and particularly how pastoral ministry pertains to a book that we're reading together as a church. The book is, of course, The Compelling Community by Mark Dever and Jamie Dunlop. And in this series so far, we've gotten all the way to chapter one. Indeed, if you missed that first podcast last week, uh, we talked about the fact that uh, a local church community makes the gospel visible. Uh, Matt and I talked about the temptation that we face as church leaders to build a, a gospel plus church a church where community and small groups and life together revolve around something else apart from the gospel. And we then talked about our own desires and prayers to build a church that was instead not gospel plus, but but gospel revealing. That is churches that seek to, uh, in a sense, push people outside of their natural relational comfort zone such that unbelievers may may witness a supernatural community, which brings us to today's topic, the supernatural community is essentially what we're talking about in chapter two. So Matt, just to start us off, what, what is a supernatural community, a supernatural church? Are we, are we talking about ghosts and ghouls and X-Files and Roswell? Not necessarily, though. I'd be happy to go there if you want to. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you for being with us. I think uh, I don't have a real tight definition of what a supernatural community is, except to say that it's it's a community that wouldn't be possible apart from the power of God, apart from a power at work amongst us that's greater than our own. And, uh, and one, of, one of the things I appreciate about this chapter is it just points to a couple of clear examples of that that the Bible prioritizes. Yeah. Um, I think it makes sense to start with relationships amongst the, the people. That's where Jesus starts. I mean, he talks about people knowing that we're his disciples by the way we love one another with a love that's modeled on his. So, so one of the first marks of a supernatural community is going to be a bond between us and a depth of care for one another that uh, that isn't explainable amongst us. Yeah. So the, the, the Christians are not going to be the only ones who have deep community and, and deep love for one another, but in some cases, deep love and community is explained by, say, family ties. You know, where I come from in rural America, where there are really thick family ties and generation after generation tends to live in the same place, you get some amazing displays of love. Um, but it's often, it, it makes sense because this is your family, and this is this is just what families do for one another. The local church, we're looking to, to, to see that amongst people who don't share anything, maybe don't even come from the same country or speak the same native language, who, who certainly aren't the same personality types and don't have the same skin color or, or income level, and, and yet have a family-like and even greater than family-like love for one another. Yeah. I think that's the mark that we're, that we're most especially interested to see. Yeah, we're talking about really a a community that is is dependent on God first and and and, and foremost. Um, so it's 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 not a church that's dependent on ghosts or ghouls or anything like that. It's dependent on God. Uh, but we do nevertheless start this chapter with some rather kind of frightening, chilling words. Mm-hmm. Uh, indeed, I think we both said that the opening was our. Our, our, our favorite bit, our, our most challenging part of the chapter. Yeah, I mean, it's what I look back to when I think about the whole book. It's the it's to me the most gripping image. Yeah, and the one I most often tell people about when I recommend the book. 
Okay, so why don't I read? Why don't I just read that first opening couple of paragraphs? Because I mean, I think, like you said, there is so much gold there. Uh, let me read it to us. It's a chilling scene. Ezekiel is an exile in Babylon, but suddenly he sees the temple back in Jerusalem. The glory of the Lord, which had filled the temple since the days of Solomon, is pictured as resting on a wheeled throne, and the throne is supported by flying cherubim. It begins to move. It departs from the most holy place. It stops at the threshold of the temple. It advances again, rising upwards from the temple and then moving over the east gate until it's gone. The glory of the Lord has left the temple. Unspeakable horror. Yet, nothing appears any different. The temple is still there. God's people are still there. Life continues unaltered. It's all the same, at least for now. What if the same thing happened in your church? Picture all the elements of community in your church, your main weekly gathering, the Lord's Supper, small groups, accountability, relationships, conversations after church, and so forth. Now picture the Spirit of God and his supernatural power rising up and then departing from your congregation. What happens? He has these four amazing kind of bullet points. Do some people immediately feel like they no longer belong Or do they continue coming to church for mostly the same reasons they did before? Do some friendships instantly dissolve because no bond remains? Or do they survive because they were based on something other than the gospel in the first place? Do you notice a conspicuous change in the conversations people have in your small group, perhaps a new reluctance to engage in difficult talk about each other's lives? Or was the self-sacrifice in these relationships never dependent on God's spirit to begin with? Do you begin to see a flood of requests for pastoral counseling because members are no longer bearing each other's burdens or have people always seen the pastoral staff as the professionals they would call in a time of spiritual need? I would hope that our churches would dissolve into chaos the moment God removed his supernatural power. But I fear that many of us have built church community in such a way that Ezekiel's vision could come true in our own day and we would never notice the difference. Mm. So powerful. Powerful. Matt, if you were to to take God um, out of our church, what, what would be different? Well, I hope, for one thing, that our conversations would be different. I hope that we would have a lot less to talk about. Uh, I remember... Maybe maybe this was around the first time I read this book. I don't remember that part, but I remember a few years ago there was this ad campaign mm-hmm. um, during football season. Um, I guess it was probably ESPN or some station that was playing it, and it, it showed all these friends talking about football. They're in the same fantasy football league, and so they're just geeking out over stats and players and their draft and who got who, and um, and then and then and then the the commercial pauses and says, "What if there were no football?" It flashes to the same friendships and just blank stares. Guys kind of towing the ground, staring off into space. One guy throws out the fact that he's decided to switch sunblocks. He's decided to go with an SPF 50 uh, instead of the 20 he had been using. Falls flat. And then the tagline for the commercial is, friends talk about football. Yeah. And I remember thinking as reading this, watching that, reading this book, that, yeah, man, I want that for our church. Yeah. Like, friends talk about Jesus in the yeah. local church. They talk about what God is doing in their lives. 
they talk about how to honor him with their lives and how to help one another to that end. You pull him out. I, I hope that our friendships have a different focus and a different fuel than what they do now. Yeah, I think that's really true. I, I think for me, of those four bullet points, the thing that I fear most, and, and maybe actually that, that fear has grown since coming to America, is that actually people would just still come to church, even if the gospel wasn't true, even if God removed his power. Because church, to some extent, so I kind of understand a little bit, in America is still where people find community. People go to church because, well, that's what they've kind of always done, and that's how they found their friends. And finding community at church is kind of socially acceptable. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, and I guess that was that was one of the joys, in a sense, of being in England, was that that that, that God was so socially unacceptable, that church was so socially unacceptable, that the reason people were there was because because of God, they, they wanted to come to hear the gospel preached. And that was the kind of the rallying point because there was not all those, those other things, which I think is kind of the same as what you're saying yeah. in that analogy. So yeah. what, would we, what would we lose if we didn't have the supernatural? What would well, we lose? One of the most striking parts of the chapter to me is, is where he talked about the evangelistic fallout if, you're, mm -hmm. if your community it would hold together whether God is with you or not, if it's just based on people who just enjoy being around one another, have a lot in common, there's a lot to talk about. Those things are all fine. We're not saying that you shouldn't talk about marriage or parenting or schooling or football or whatever else. But if that's all you had, if there wasn't anything unusual about the content of your friendships or the, the nature of them, then, then there would be some significant evangelistic fallout. One of my favorite parts of the chapter is he talks about um, the pattern of the gospel's expansion in Acts, mm. uh, which, which uh, our Trinity friends spent some time with early last year. He talks about how when the gospel's first going out into new places, a lot of times there were these big, flashy, miraculous signs that were being done, you know, miracles and healings and exorcisms and, and all of that. But then as the gospel sort of settled into a place... There were Christians gathering together in community that those signs tended to to move on and be replaced by the life of the local church. And his point is, it seems that the pattern is when there is no local church there, God shows his power in a frontier setting like that in some remarkable ways to show he's amongst them. But later, he, he wants his power displayed in the relationships that people have in the local church. That's where you can look to see that he's that he's real, that there's something to this gospel uh, so without that kind of eye-catching community, um, our evangelism takes a hit. Yeah, so in a, in, a, in a sense from what you're saying, it's not just about what we lose, but it's, it's, it's what we gain by, by, by having it, um, that, that compelling community to, to, together. Yeah. Um, we had a great time in our, our, our Bible study last night looking at, at, at John 13, uh, 34 to 35, and, and, and there Jesus says, a new command I give you, that you love one another. And here's the kind of the key bit in a sense. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. Um, i.e. your love is not to be a worldly love, just a generic kind of love around something. It's, it's to be a love, the same love that, that I have loved you. And why, and it brings back to your evangelistic point, the result of that verse 35 is that by all this, people will know that you are my disciples. Mm -hmm. If you have this, if you have this type of love, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Um, I um, I think that this is among the most important things that 
any Edgefield Church member can pray for Edgefield Church. It's it's on my daily prayer rotation that that God would be among us, opening up our eyes to different ways we can love one another. Mm-hmm. That stretch us, but also uh, our eye catching to others. Um, I think that um, it, one of the things that encourages me most as a pastor is when when members will share stories with me about how other members pursued them and loved them well. Like nothing gets me excited more than hearing that someone who, who maybe wasn't even part of the normal friend group of this other person heard that they were in need and reached out to them, brought them a meal, shot them an email to find out how they could pray. These are not hypotheticals. I mean, it's just, just last night I heard a member describing that they were loved this way, that, that a member just randomly emailed them saying, I'm praying through the membership directory. Uh, I know we haven't met but I'd love to know how I can pray for you because I have been. Um, and it led to a whole exchange between them about some, some big questions that the uh, person was wrestling with, and the other member who had reached out had some helpful things to suggest, to, to read. Um, I've been hearing stories about members who, who have suffered loss recently, mm-hmm. having other members reach out to them, even though they don't know them, to pray for them or to, to send condolences to them or bring food. Um, I pray that God will multiply that in our church because I do think that's eye-catching. That's something that, that everyone wants to be part of, that kind of community. And I think it is, it is obviously supernatural when one person wakes up in the morning thinking about, planning for, looking for opportunities to inconvenience themselves for the sake of, of their covenant body, yeah. for someone that's only connected to them because they promised they would be. That's a beautiful thing, mm. but it just it takes God's power at works amongst us. So that's that's my prayer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think for for me, this this whole chapter just points us to prayer, doesn't it? Yes. I mean, we, we just need to kind of close the chapter there and and, and to just pray. This chapter has been a reminder that that it's it's all dependent on God. Yeah. Uh, someone said something to me uh, reflecting on the chapter uh, the other day, and they and they were saying uh, essentially. That do you think this is just a kind of a new program for us as a church, a kind of new way to kind of grow our church? And I know what they were getting at, but that's not at all the point. Yeah. You know, the, the point is that this is this is all God's work. Yeah. This is not just another program. Yeah. Um, we literally can't do this. Yeah. Exactly. That's the reminder. You yeah. know, the reminder is essentially Psalm uh, one twenty seven that unless the Lord builds the house, Amen. The, the the builders strive in, in vain. Amen. Uh, indeed, that's probably a, a, a good time to kind of to pause and, and to leave this uh, a discussion, a good way of ending. Indeed, friends, my, my, I just encourage you to, to, to pray uh, after listening to this podcast before uh, an NPR podcast or an NFL podcast comes on and something else that kind of you gather around your friends to, to take an interest in uh, turns on. Why not pause and, and pray? Pray that, that God would be that that builder, that architect of our church, and that the gospel would be that cement, and that if we, if we lost the gospel, that we would just be bricks that kind of just fell apart. Amen. God help us. Yeah. Well, friends, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we hope to see you Sunday. Go in peace. <laughs>